our final consideration of the matter of divine omniscience, we ask, what do we know about certain insurmountable obstacles that are avoided by this simple biblical concept of the omniscience of God? From these considerations which have been enumerated, we conclude as follows concerning this most important attribute of the Godhead. There is a trinity of personalities in the Godhead who are endowed with the ability to think new thoughts, to have new reactions of an emotional nature, and to make new decisions of will, to bring events into existence according to new plans. Such functions must of necessity involve the idea of succession. There must have been an era of time when certain thoughts were being entertained and possible plans formulated. Then there must have been moments of decision when the free will of God resolved to bring these plans into actuality and execute them in the course of time. If God cannot function thus, then no new decisions were ever made and total fatalism results. But since the Bible does present the Godhead as originating all sequences of material and personal existences, it is no deficiency of knowledge not to know all the facts that shall result from new decisions which have not been made as yet. Man, having been created in the image of God, has been given a miniature of the ability of his creator in his own limited sphere. He too, therefore, can have new thoughts, be affected thereby in his being, and originate actions out of nothing. It is no deficiency of knowledge on the part of God not to know all that such free wills shall bring into existence. God's knowledge, therefore, embraces every action of any sort that ever has occurred in the past, down to the minutest detail, embraces every such action or disposition of matter at the present moment, embraces a knowledge of many long-range plans and details which he has determined to bring to pass in his great wisdom and dispensations, but does not embrace all his future decisions and actions simply because he is a living being and has not made them as yet, nor the future actions of moral beings acting in their free agency. These things have not happened yet, nor been brought into existence out of nothing. Therefore, by no possibility can they be foreknown. Thus the Bible seems to present the matter of God's omniscience. If God has had no accessions to his knowledge, no new decisions have been made either. This must be recognized by all who would assert a different view from the one advocated. Indeed, many agonizing and painful statements can be found by sincere minds who have grappled with it. The view advocated is by no means new among evangelical scholars of recent centuries. Several are known to have spent a lifetime of research and investigation, independent of one another, with conclusions reached as above advocated. Their influence has been extensive and their memories revered. An extensive personal investigation of this subject and its related topics was carried on during the years from 1937 to 1941. 
the New Testament was first carefully surveyed. During the summer of 1938, 12 long uninterrupted days were invested in the consecutive reading of the entire Old Testament, which was terminated in the happy enthusiasm of the words, The God of the Bible is not the God of theology, as I had been taught it. Succeeding years in analyzing the many passages gathered led to the firm conviction that the Bible not only failed to prove that God possessed from eternity infallible foreknowledge of all his actions and of all actions and events of his created objects that ever shall come to pass, but presented some astonishing evidence to the contrary. Accepting these plain declarations of the Bible, we are spared the fruitless and complicated task of attempting to reconcile incompatibilities in which endeavor large and learned volumes have been written. Some of the happy conclusions of this view advocated are as follows. We can understand how man can have happy fellowship with God in this life and in the life to come. Is this not wonderful and thrilling in an elevated sense? Fellowship apart from succession is an impossible concept because by its very nature it is a series of communications and reactions of two beings of similar constitutions. Can we conceive of our own existence without the area of time to do anything in? As Enoch walked with God according to the divine record, so the beloved apostle John wrote, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And elsewhere of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who shall abide with you forever. Both the Godhead and we ourselves live in time. How blessed is a journey along life's pathway together in an endless series of reactive experiences. Not only is man blessed, but God is blessed too. This should challenge sinners to come to repentance and be reconciled to God. Secondly, the Godhead are the great free moral agents of the universe who can have new thoughts, reactions, and actions of will. The fixity of fate and monotony is banished from the universe. God is a living being with an unending succession of personal manifestations. God said, let us make man. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and the like. Thirdly, but man also is truly free and unrestrained in his moral actions. True freedom of will must embrace the idea that a given action did not have to come to pass of necessity. There must be a may or may not. Here we use the word contingency, which is defined as relating to an event that is liable but not certain to occur. It is contrasted with the word certainty, which is something which is fixed, stated, settled. Another term, necessity, is applied to the will also. One has written thus, a certain event will evidently come to pass. A necessary event must come to pass, but a contingent event may or may not come to pass. If all events are fixities in the divine mind by such absolute possession of knowledge, all events are therefore certainties, 
and certainties are the opposite of contingencies. If God is looking to the future, as is man, without an eternal fixity of knowledge, man's true freedom and dreadful moral accountability is established. God may say, Put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Fourthly, it leads man entirely away from self-pity in the consideration of God's responsibility for the dreadful catastrophe of sin which has so hopelessly marred our world. If, as Genesis 6, 5-7 clearly indicates, God did not know the certainty of man's sinful rebellion and persistently downward in his course when man was created with such happy endowments and surrounded with such profound possibilities, God is completely justified in venturing forth upon a creative plan in which the great majority of men will evidently be confined in eternal misery. Sin was an exceedingly greater disappointment to God than the sum total of all the griefs of men added together. When these colossal griefs to God are insistently proclaimed, with the holiness and righteousness of God upheld, sinners will see that their own grief is an insignificant thing and say with Job of old, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The views advocated, therefore, afford the only acceptable theodicy or the only true vindication or defense of God's wisdom and goodness in creating a world that has become so blurred by sin and disappointment and in perpetuating its existence and government when so large a mass of moral beings refuse to be reconciled to his love and must therefore spend eternity in conscious torment where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Fifthly, it has a perpetual energizing effect upon the volitional energies of moral beings. First, the idea of fixity and certainty freezes over moral accountability. On the one hand, multitudes are slumbering on in sin under the notion that what will be, will be. They like this idea, and to awaken them with true contingency is to head into a stone wall of resistance. Of course, repentance is impossible in this state of mind because repentance must be an intelligent action. Then again, others are resigned to their fate, they think, and mull over the things in despondency. Secondly, this idea of future fixity and certainty becomes an endless barrier to those who love God and desire to serve Him. We have on our walls frequently the words, Prayer changes things. But how can prayer change things when God is supposedly not now having any new thoughts nor taking any new actions in our behalf? To tell folk that God heard their prayers from eternity before they were born is certainly not inspiring, even though it is said that God had been adjusting events for our benefit before we arrived. If this be so, many of the prayers recorded in the Bible are definitely misleading, and God's invitations likewise. So likewise of our service for God and our efforts to win the lost. If God has elected certain individuals to be saved,
and at this moment sees their presence in heaven as an actuality and the remainder in hell as a dreadful certainty, what inspiration is this to put forth untiring efforts to change the destiny of souls which God's causation or infallible foreknowledge positively locates? But how happy to emerge from all these complications into a simple biblical concept. How convincing to the sinner! What a bombshell to his slumber! On the other hand, how energizing to the Christian! And what an inspiration to his prayer life and to his service for God! And so we thank God for the Word of God that has given us a fresh concept of the very nature of God and that we have this great revelation of truth to fall back on and to steer us clear from many complexities which have afflicted the minds of men. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that Thou hast given us Thy Word, and how grateful we are for its wonderful message of reconciliation, that Thou dost plead with sinners to be reconciled to Thee, to come to that state of repentance that thou canst afford to extend mercy to them, that sinners are dreadfully responsible because of their moral freedom, and that thou dost beseech them to return unto thee, to find forgiveness of sin through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to enter upon the life of fellowship with thee, and journey through the ages of eternity in thy wonderful presence. May many do so today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.